Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. All right, I'm really excited this week because today we have with us Mifan Karim from WSO2. Mifan, I'll let him give his own bio and talk about himself because he's probably better at it than I am. But a little bit about how I how I met Mifan and how we ended up here. We were both on the roster at a virtual healthcare conference called HealthCon DX, run by the folks from DevOps.com and Alan Schimmel, who's an old friend of mine. And I was sitting there and I was watching him talk. And I thought, man, I would love to hear more from this guy. And so I dropped him a note right after and I said, you got to come on. And so here we are. So Mafan, welcome. I'm so psyched to hear what you want to talk about, what is on your mind lately. Thank you, Mike. Uh, pleasure to be on the show. It's a, it's a nice warm day here as well. That that helps. And then, then, then of course, I think uh, the healthcare system in US, it, it makes it easier for people to talk about it, right? <laughs> yeah, challenges. No yeah. Yeah, well, especially in the last year, we've certainly had lots to talk about around the healthcare systems. Absolutely, yeah. So let me introduce myself. So I'm the Vice President of Solutions Architecture at WSO2. That can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But but Solutions Architecture really is the customer-facing technical team. Like, so whenever comes into the company, we are the ones who, who talk to them, and, and I head that global team. A little bit of background to myself. I started off life with my own startup. We were in the humanitarian space. So uh, we built a product, actually, interestingly, following the South Asian tsunami in 2004. It was a product called Sahana, which was an open source disaster management system. And, and our belief was that open source was the way to go, right? Software needed to be transparent. It needed to be open. It needed to be accessible. So we made it open source. I formed a company around that, ran that for a number of years. Uh, and, and then, of course, joined uh, WSO2, which is a, a middleware technology company working on API management products. During my time with the Sahana project and with my own company, I, I got the chance to work with a number of healthcare organizations and healthcare initiatives as well, especially OpenMRS and some of the open healthcare initiatives. So that was a good good experience. Today, I, I wear multiple hats. I head the technical team for Solutions Architecture. And I also work on the healthcare side. So, so I work uh, heading the healthcare solutions, productizing our healthcare knowledge, and, and then, of course, talking at conferences and, and uh, being the spokesperson for the company for healthcare. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. So it's funny. I think, uh, I think you and I have, have a similar bent, right? It's easy when you're starting a company to say, what's the way that I could make the most money in the fastest time, right? And I've told people about starting Scope. And I said, you know, if I, if I wanted to really go like, you know, just straight up growth, kind of blow it out, I'd have gone and started a cloud security company securing AWS, right? I think there's anybody who, who jumps into the healthcare security space, especially, is, is pretty mission driven. And, you know, obviously, you started a company that literally is mission driven, right? And I think that's so fascinating. And, and you get to bring that to healthcare. So maybe tell everybody a little bit about what you were talking about when we when we met, because I thought it was such a fascinating talk. It was interesting, because I, I started getting into healthcare. And then of course, as, as you mentioned, COVID changed a lot of things, right? COVID brought healthcare to the forefront and healthcare companies, pharma, everyone became the superheroes of healthcare, just overnight, right? And there was one stat saying there was around eight years of digital transformation done in a year during the pandemic. There's another stat saying that 
the venture capital for healthcare startups was the highest ever and 50% higher than 2019, right? So amazing year really for healthcare innovation, at least to put it lightly. But the topic I spoke about was really healthcare innovation. And my belief is that innovation is a trade-off. It's not just a one-way path. You have interoperability on one side and interoperability stands for connecting to multiple systems, connecting facilities, connecting labs, uh, connecting the insurance companies, the healthcare payers and the providers, all of that. And then, of course, you have privacy and security, which is a, a big topic in itself in healthcare. Right? So how do you really balance both of them? So so that's that's really my topic. I, I see that as a healthcare innovation trade-off, the intersection of interoperability and, and privacy. Well, and, and one of the things we talk about a lot at the, on the scope side is that you know, there's a lot of innovation in the technology companies, right? Like you said, VC is is way up. Digital health is exploding. You know, things like the CARES Act is forcing patient portability and, and fire APIs are popping up in every system everywhere, right? All of these things are happening. And one of the things we always talk about is you can't innovate technically and expect hospitals to take in that technical innovation if they can't secure the environment in which the innovative technology is laid out, right? That's right. Yes. And, and, and that's interesting as well. So even over the last year and, and even this year, there's been a number of data breaches involving hospitals as well. So, But then the, the flip side of it is the U.S. government and, and the U.S. healthcare system is promoting interoperability, which means, as you said correctly, exposing certain types of data as, as standardized APIs, FHIR APIs in this case, to third-party applications right? and, and really giving the control of the data to the patient or to users which is the right way to go for, for innovation. But then that opens up a can of worms, really, because in the past, healthcare data was siloed, it was not shared, and even then you had data breaches. Imagine what would happen if you do it the wrong way when you start exposing data. Right? So, so security is at the forefront today more than ever. I heard somebody make a kind of flip comment recently that now we're, we're exposing all these APIs to, to our patients, right? And th- through apps, obviously, but but still... Do we not think we're also exposing those to nation state level APTs to go to go download all those same records? Yes, absolutely. And 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 look, Mike, so so the this has always been the argument with API programs as well, right? For the past 10 years, ever since API management was introduced, you had to first convince CISOs that this is a good thing for the company, right? You have to innovate and, and you can secure APIs. There are standards. And this is the way to go. Right? And, and, and that discussion is always going to pop up whenever you start exposing information externally to third parties. And, and that's, that's quite true in healthcare as well. And it, it has a bigger impact in healthcare than maybe any, any other industry. But one of the interesting things I've, I've seen is, is that you also need to provide control of that security to the patients, especially in healthcare. Right? And, and, and this has been achieved in other industries quite well, like, for example, banking and finance. If you take the European Open Banking Initiative that, that came up a couple of years back, right? The PSD2 regulations that then is now used in Australia, New Zealand, Asia Pacific, not so much in the US, but everywhere else in the world. That, that was a good example. So there, there are some quite good examples from other industries, other regulatory industries that can be brought into healthcare in the US. But this coming back to that topic, what we see or what I see in the industry is the need for a specific type of user security, which is consent management, right? where 
you are taking your APIs or, or a hospital, the owner of that data, like the, the provider or the payer, is taking those APIs, exposing those APIs externally, and then you expect applications to come consume those APIs. But eventually the onus is on the user or the patient to provide consent very specifically to his or her data, right? And, and that's key. So it's not a broad-based consent where you get someone to sign the fine print, you don't really know what you're signing, and then all your data is exposed. It's not that. It's a much more involved process where as your data is being consumed, you as the patient gives consent to that specific type of data for a specific time to a specific application. And I see that as the future, and that has a huge role to play in the future of healthcare APIs and, and security. And that's not a story that most people talk about. When we think of API security, it's how do I secure this against you know indirect object access or inappropriate authorization and things like that. To to take it up a level to really involve the patient in the in the ability to move their own data from one place to another, that's got to be a complex problem. It is, and and it, it's more about the. It's not much about the technology, but it's more about how you govern the problem, right? And and I'm guessing. If you or I walk into a, a, a hospital, a provider, so there is a specific way we give consent today. And that's mostly paper-based. And, and But of course, you, you have like kiosks and iPads and all these things, right? But then you need to start tying that back into the actual system, the actual interoperability system. So that's the complex part. And, and you also have complications such as delegated consent management, right? Like for example, if my son is basically sharing data or, or data is being shared on behalf of my son, do I delegate consent on behalf of my kid? Right. So, so there's a delegated consent management picture. You also need to be able to go into the weeds, into a granular level and provide consent as well. Uh, like for example, I'll, I'll get a bit technical here, but not too much. If, if you are exposing APIs in the finance industry, uh, you would say, here's my banking API. Do I provide access to application A to my banking API? I mean, that, that's it. But in healthcare, you need to go a level further and you say, do I provide access to my first name, to my phone number, to my medical record, to this specific medical record? So it's a much more granular problem in healthcare. And of course, much larger implications right, in, in healthcare. So yeah, that, it is an interesting space. Well, and you also talked a little bit about time. And I think that's a fascinating idea as well. Because traditionally, like you said, you know, if I downloaded a mail app called Superhuman, and I give it access to my email, so I can read email in that email client, that's usually a permanent thing, right? I give that access, and it's there forever. And that's been the way it's always been when we walk into the doctor's office, right? They hand you a clipboard, and you basically say, I sign away this for this doctor for all eternity. But as we get to this more complicated picture, I, I might say, Mifan is my, I don't know, my hiking buddy or whatever. And I delegate my medical access to him for a day while we're out in the woods because I just got, you know, stung by a bee and I'm having an anaphylactic reaction. I'm not allergic to bees, but, you know, I'm coming up with a, with a contrived example on, on the fly. There's so many really interesting things you could do if you got this right, I would think. And it goes way beyond security. It goes, it goes to the, the way that we live our lives and the way that health data is intertwined with the way I live on a daily basis. So you, you need to be able to provide the time-based consent. Like, for example, even if you take like the, the diabetes sensors, right? So, so they share information and you, you can tell your doctor that you're going to share information with the doctor. But then you need to go and check after a month to see like whether you, the doctor still has access, whether you're stopping access, whether you're still providing consent. 
really like I haven't read the last consent form that I signed, right? It's, it's huge forms, <laughs> minuscule text. So yeah, yeah. And so, so I, let me take you a different direction. So I was talking to a health system recently. You mentioned the word interoperability and, and this is all tied in with the modern EHR landscape. And, and I was talking to a health system recently and they said, we've grown by acquisition and we have, I don't remember what the number was, 86 different EHRs in our health system. And I was thinking, man, like complying with the CARES Act and being able to provide some of the stuff you're talking about when you've got 86 different EMRs and you don't necessarily have them all talking together. Like it's not as simple for most, it, you know, we, we like to think, oh, well, they'll just stick up an API and then my apps can talk to it. But this is a harder problem than it seems. Do you agree? It is. It is much harder. And, and I've spoken to a health system who, who said they had every single EHR under the sun in their network, right? So we might have been talking to the same health yeah, system. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And and it is a complex problem. Of course, you have to commend the, the government's initiative as well to promote interoperability. In a, in a sector where healthcare data was quite siloed and, and you had large networks and you only can interoperate if you run the same system on the other side, right? So so it was from that landscape we are moving into this landscape. And of course, COVID just accelerated everything and blew everything out of the water, right? So Either you can interoperate and you can expose APIs and stand up your telemedicine application overnight, or you're really out of business literally, right? But yes, interoperability is the key for all of this and at the heart of everything. And you do have a number of organizations who have multiple EHRs. All the EHR vendors also need to be compliant. So, so they do have APIs and they're getting to the stage where it is based on FHIR, uh, Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources, which is really like version 4 of HL7. A majority of the systems are at version two, again, just getting a bit technical. So it's not just whether the systems can talk to each other. It's not just whether you can consolidate information from multiple systems, but it's also what language those systems are talking. Right? Are they talking the latest standards? Are they using some proprietary standard altogether? And then can you really make use of the data? So I think it's important for healthcare organizations to look at the bigger picture, right? It's it's not just taking the patient data, transforming it into some format, exposing it and forgetting about it. Right? I, I don't think we are in that landscape today. And if COVID has taught us anything, that is that you need to continuously innovate and continuously launch digital products in a shorter time scale, which means you need to be able to take the data, convert it and create newer business models out of that or newer revenue streams or newer channels and, in, and innovative applications. For that, you need to be able to connect to multiple systems and aggregate that data first, and then be able to use data from all of those systems, not just one system independently. So the feeling we have, and especially working with uh, multiple customers and talking to multiple people in the industry, is that you need a layer that sits above the EHR, not at the EHR level, but above the EHR, and that can connect to all these different multitude of heterogeneous systems. And that, that's where we, we see the future as well. I think the people who have thought about the interoperability part have not necessarily thought about security. And one of the things that I find most interesting around the healthcare landscape is if you, you know, if you look at the medical device industry, there are regulations that drive a lot of secure development. You know, my time at GE, the, the first FDA pre-market guidance, the, the FDA post-market guidance, there's a lot of prescriptive information about you know, you shall post these patches on your website and you shall talk about the vulnerability data and, you you know, all the things that you have to do. And all the stuff we're talking about isn't regulated in the same way, right? There's nobody. And we know that Epic and Cerner and those folks are doing a good job of that stuff. 
But it's not because anyone's making them. And and the real challenge is, I mean, I don't remember what the story is, but there's, I think there's 60 or 70 different implementations of fire that have seen adoption in hospitals in, in the U.S. since the CARES Act. And you got to know that there's a there's a wide variance in the in the security with which those things are developed and if there's not that other layer right then we're going to be relying on those products each of them developed in its own way without necessarily any regulatory oversight to for for the security of this patient data absolutely and you, and you're right there there are quite a few variances and and there are some areas like especially when it comes to api security where the rules are a bit lax right it's it's gray enough that you can interpret it your own way. So, so that's that's what the organizations and vendors have really done. Right? You interpret it your own way, come up with various implementations, which is fine as long as it gets the job done. But then when you do start to then connect to two systems, not just one system, that's where it starts getting challenging. Right? And, and even if you take security, like for example, you are expected to expose these APIs. And as you correctly mentioned, you talk about API security, but then you have the other end of the spectrum. Like once you start exposing APIs, how do you stop a DOS attack, for example, like someone coming and constantly bombarding this public API and bringing the whole system down? So those are additional capabilities that are required that comes through infrastructure or any other layer. But but these are these are things that need to be looked at as well once you start exposing APIs. I think people underestimate the security operations side of this challenge. You know, the number of products out there that can take the logs from all of these various API products and make sense of them is it's us basically and some of the API security products but even the API security products don't always necessarily know about this random product that was written by three guys in a garage for delivering these APIs we saw the same thing in mobile right there are there are hundreds and hundreds of mobile health apps and if you actually start taking them apart not the ones that are made by the major manufacturers, but all of the variants in the long tail, most of them are built really insecurely, but you can't tell that from the app store, right? And especially you look in the app store and maybe the app itself is secure, but what about the APIs that it's using? Yes, that, that, that is right. So that's one of the advantages as well of having this API layer and, and uh, letting hospitals build their systems on top of APIs. Because the belief we have is that as large organizations, and most of the healthcare organizations are massive in the US, large organizations need to focus on the business of building applications, building innovative applications, and not really on the business of building platforms and building that infrastructure layer. Leave that to specialists, leave that to the vendors, just, just come in and start focusing on what's really needed right, and what makes a difference. So building your applications, building your next telemedicine application or your value-based care or remote monitoring application on top of APIs is a good thing. And then, of course, you then start securing those APIs. And regardless of like what the backend does, if, if the backend is a little bit unsecure, then you secure it at the API level. So that's one of the big advantages of, of API management. And, and with the regulation as well, just to segue a bit, the regulation pushes for patient access APIs, right? So which means the patients are getting ownership of their data and, and they, they can provide applications access to their data. So, so you can in the future have an aggregation or an explosion of applications in the US for healthcare, right? So healthcare apps, similar to the Apple Watch applications, there'll be many other healthcare applications that consume your data. And all of that would be because you have access to patient APIs or patient access APIs. But the other big area that has a lot of visibility is bulk data. 
because now that you're collecting data from multiple systems, you do have access to bulk data, which you can feed into artificial intelligence, machine learning, data mining. So for example, if you need to do pattern, like trend analysis to see, figure out like what's happening in a specific area, or if you, if you need to use that for, for drug manufacturing and, and see how the effects of COVID has been, for example. This data coming in, which can be anonymized and used and fed into the cloud is also a big area that organizations are looking at. And of course, the security implications vary. Right? One focuses on very specific patient consent management type of security. The other focuses on securing large amount of data, privacy, masking, encryption, all of that. But it's interesting times looking forward. It definitely is. So, so Mifan, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Tell us more about where, where we can find you, you know, obviously WSO2, but where can the audience find more of your thoughts, your writing? You know, are you speaking anywhere cool anytime soon? Like, tell us a bit. Yes, I usually spend at least half an hour on LinkedIn every day. So I, I hope to like add stuff to LinkedIn. So most of my stuff will be linked back to LinkedIn. I do write about my thoughts here and there, multiple places, not a single place, Forbes Tech Council and, and uh, some of the other healthcare sources, etc. But all of that would be back linked back to LinkedIn. I am on Twitter as well, Mifan C at Twitter. LinkedIn just goes at as Mifan. Mifan is a unique name, so you can find it. I think it means rice in Chinese. So if you Google it, you'll get pictures of rice as well as myself. So, so that should be fine. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, thank you again. I mean, this is a topic that's going to be evergreen. We need to do this again at some point because there's going to be a lot of talk about APIs over the next couple of years. But as usual, thanks for coming on. And I look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, Hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.